last night I fell asleep with the same burden I've had for 10 months. I asked, like many of you, how long? Last Wednesday, as the Capitol was being overrun, I was being overrun as the Holy Spirit began to show me something of what he's up to. I've seen that he's allowed this tremendous discontent as a means of putting his hooks into the darkness and drawing it out, not only in Washington, D.C., but also in his own church. The Bible says that here is where judgment must first begin. With all the prophecies floating around, when you hear from God yourself, you don't have to fact check it. If you know his word, you'll know the language of the spirit. Let me just say this. With God, the trial is never about the trial. And this political trial right now in America is not about politics. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A testimony is evidence given in a court of law. Today, Pastor Hardica looks closer at his prophetic encounter of January 6th to see evidence of who Jesus is and what he would declare if he were here in the flesh. True prophecy calls us to obey God, and it brings clarity instead of confusion. The intensity of the visitation I received on January 6th was a very firm indication of just how deep and how unavoidable is God's intention to bring America to its knees for His glory and for our restoration. If there's anything that needs to happen in this country, it's a humbling that removes the immense arrogance that exists. While so many conservative Christians have been lamenting a political loss and displaying justifiable indignation with corruption, they slip sideways from the glaring need of our nation and the church to be laid prostrate before God. Consider this. American opulence, indignation over so-called rights, the normalizing of sexual immorality, and calling it hate speech when it's called sin criminalizing one of the least racist countries in the world, buying the lie that equality of outcome is love, while 29% do not have access to safe drinking water in the world. And we're worried about these things, really? Two and a half million people in the world have no access to clean sanitation facilities or toilets. 15,000 children die every day. America kills close to one million unborn every year, the vast majority for convenience. An unprecedented number of children are starving due to the lockdown. Parents in South Africa are begging for food relief as they go hungry to try to keep their families alive. From 1983 to 2000, 91% of the population of Nigeria lived on less than $2 a day. In India, 86%. Egypt and China, 53% were living on less than $2 a day. Mexico was at 38%. The times I've been in Russia, it's been far, far easier to preach the gospel in the schools than in America. And they are living in some unbelievable poverty, many of them. We're called the greatest country in the world, and in many ways we are, or were. And considering the race riots, really? The U.S. is not even in the top 25 countries in the world with the problem of racism. And we share that along with Canada, Australia, and Brazil, having the status of being the bottom 5% of countries in the world with racism. 
Yet we rioted in our streets, burned down buildings, and called it a summer of love. With all of our opportunities and privileges born of the efforts of the greatest generation now past, we are seen as a nation of great discontent and one that has marginalized God's word. But this arrogance is about to come to an end. It's futile to think that we can unite the country through politics. We can't change the politics of a man until his heart is changed, and politics won't change the heart. It's only a man who has experienced true liberty in Christ that will have the integrity to love the unlovely, fight unto the death for the right to worship God, and not attend every argument that he's invited to. This that we have seen is not love in America. With all the empty churches and past disunity amongst Christians, we have shown little true intensity for the glory of God. We're just mad that we're not getting our way, and we see our prosperity going down the drain until we are brought to a level playing field with the rest of the world, apparently. That's the real great reset. Two of our greatest enemy threats, Russia and China, are filled to overflowing with desperately poor people. Last night I fell asleep with the same burden I've had for ten months. I asked, like many of you, how long? But it was the question of the prophets that I was asking. How long, O Lord, will you allow our enemies to triumph over us? Before I outline that from the scriptures, let's first look at the times God has said to us, How long? For me personally, one of the clearest words I've ever heard from God was, When are you going to obey me? And I was a pastor. Now in scripture we read, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. Then King David said, My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? False witnesses did rise up, and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. Now, God's answer was given to David in the next chapter. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land, and truly you shall be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any way to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. As I was reading this, a verse jumped out at me. Delight yourself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Don't take that word lightly. Learn to delight yourself in the Lord, not in getting your own way, whether it be politically or otherwise. We've heard so many prophets telling us who's going to win the election, that victory is ours, and that God won't let this country fall. Then we've said in our hearts, I hope that guy's right. Listen, when you hear a man of God prophesy by the Lord, you're not going to wonder if you've just heard from God. The big question in a prophetic word is not if something else will come to pass or not, but if you will listen to God or not. It'll convict you, reach down into the depths of your soul, and change you because your heart will say, this is truly where I have been in my life. It may be a word to go or to stay, a word to shout or a word to weep, but I'll tell you right now that when God's glory gets a hold of you, you'll be both humbled and lifted up. What we need is the exaltation of the Lord God, not of a man. Next Friday, I'm going to share the meat of the prophetic word to Israel through the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah as they declare that judgment is coming to the nation that is called the Lord's because of their arrogant pride and sinfulness. America may be called God's delight as one birthed by the desire to worship Him freely, but we are no longer that. We have become something else right down to the fragmented church, and the Lord is not afraid to bring us correction like we've never seen before. To this day, the adversity that Christians have faced has caused them to primarily pray that the corruption and difficulties they've had would stop and that God would prevail against the darkness and that we wouldn't lose our rights and freedoms. We're just like rebellious Israel when they were told judgment is coming. Personally, I'll know that the church has finally got the message when they realize that God has allowed this for a reason. Yes, the devil is at work, but God doesn't allow him loose unless he knows it's necessary. But because we haven't realized it to this very day across America, God is going to bring us to a place where this arrogant attitude in our country and our Christian population is taken to task. Listen, we don't need civil liberty to be free in Christ, be free from sin, and lead our children out of the darkness. We need to let this season of despair draw us closer to God than we've ever been before, that we might be the vessels He can use to release the power of holiness in America. And as we look at how thousands of years ago God dealt with what we see in America today, we'll learn to recognize the prophetic voice of heaven calling out to America. Before our bold faith can lift this nation out of its depths, our humble faith is going to have to bring us each victory over that which is not pleasing to the Lord. Faith doesn't need a nation to change to be victorious faith. It needs the soul to find God's sustaining glory within until there is a joy that cannot be destroyed by any storm, until we have the faith that finds its delight in the Lord and nothing else. Over 40 years of experience has taught Pastor Hardika something that has been said often on life journeys. The trial is never about the trial. It's about the heart. And this political trial right now in America is not about politics. Remember, a true prophetic word doesn't cause us to struggle with what may happen in the near future, but rather challenges us to consider if we will obey God. Will we bow our knee to God and resist all of the hatred and pride we're seeing? 
will soon know how far God has to go to bring America to its knees before him.